Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You, you can find me on Twitter at JimLightTweets. Hello, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak. You can get me on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. And I'm also a presenter of the Meridian Sports Show, a community sports radio show every Tuesday evening online and uh, on, on the radio, though. You can get me at the Meridian SS. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. A bit of a throwback feel with some of the uh, earliest <laughs> contributors to the show. So very pleased to have both of you back on. We'll start off with uh, kind of a traumatic incident from the Arsenal versus Wolves match that I'm sure will be all over all of the papers tomorrow. Uh, David Luiz and Raul Jimenez having a really, really hard and heavy head clash. Um, Jimenez was carted off. David Luiz still wrapped in a bandage, bleeding at halftime as we record. Um, This is obviously going to launch all of the concussion protocol questions yet again. There was supposed to be one put in last year. There were discussions about whether or not to have um, concussion substitutions coming into this year with at the time it sounded like most clubs in favor and I'm not sure if it even ever came to a vote uh, so as this is all dragged up again uh, do you think Louis should have continued today and should there be concussion substitutions I am not a medical professional um, in any way shape or form far from it and I don't play one on the internet but surely he can't be fully assessed for concussion given a the severity of that clash of heads because it was a particularly nasty one um and also the fact that you can pass a concussion test apparently immediately and then obviously the symptoms mm-hmm. can develop over um you know hours um and even days further down the line i find it astounding that he's able to carry on to be honest because there must be doc- team doctors of both sides that must look at that situation and know that something's not right and you just hope that it is more kind of like he has passed all the tests, but at the same time, how how kind of effective is that test if it doesn't take into account the fact that you can have that delayed reaction? Um, and part, I guess the the scarier thing is that he might have got away relatively scot-free from that first incident, but if he carries on playing and has another blow to the head, that it, it seems to kind of extrapolate the initial issue and then like keep building and building and building and it's just not a situation you want to leave anyone in um let alone a sports person you know that's there for the entertainment of millions of people um so i'm amazed that he was able to carry on although obviously jimenez has, has gone down and has had to be taken off on a stretcher um and obviously we hope that he makes a full and swift recovery um, I just can't believe, really, that Jimenez has been uh, uh, that David Luiz was able to kind of carry on, and you would have hoped that somebody would have spoken up from a team doctor standpoint and said, "No, no, you need to come off." But actually, 
perhaps that's the fault of the kind of league in the sense that they're not enforcing it correctly. Because if they did, there's, there'd be no way that you could keep players on the pitch. And I think maybe this could be a bit of a sea change moment where either concussion substitutes come in, fair enough, or you kind of, you know, you put the onus on the teams to say, look, if a team, if a player does suffer a clash of heads like that, then you're obliged to sub them off for the good of the player. Because long term, that's the most important thing. Football is a sport and you have to worry about the safety of the players involved um, and nobody wants to see anyone seriously hurt. So, you know, it, it, surely it's better to be safe and sorry, given all the kind of stuff around um, head injuries and um, the links with footballers and um, issues further on in life. You would have thought there would have been a, a keen kind of impetus, I guess, to, to uh, minimise the chances of that kind of coming to light again. Yeah, I think what Jim said is is bang on the mark, actually. And and to be honest, I reiterate, we're not medical professionals on this podcast in the slightest. However, only I, Josh I is it, when he comes on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I find it quite tragic that football in this country or football in Europe um, or, or just the game itself haven't done anything about it before now. You know, it, it, this could be a like Jim rightly said, a sea change moment in that actually this clash of heads could and should make things different going forward whether it means um so you know concussion substitutions i'm yeah i my problem with that is that you know we know what footballers are like um and it can be open to abuse uh, abusing that situation which i hate to say it but you know there are people out there that, that would potentially do that um however something needs to be done because of the link to uh, early onset dementia um, we, we've already seen, um, you know, the position of Gordon Taylor at PFA uh, potentially affected by the fact that, you know, the lack of support in the area for certain people, obviously the high profile death of Nobby Styles, and he had dementia. And long before that, Jeff Astor, and I, I've had a really good chat with Jeff Astor's daughter um, for, for my radio show some a couple of years ago. Um, and it was really interesting to hear her uh, her experiences, not just with her father before he died, but also her conversations with medical professionals and her battles to actually wake people up and actually, you know, change people's focus on this kind of thing. It's not been taken seriously at all uh, at any level in, in the game, and it really should be. We, we're all, all three of us are all fans of NFL, and we know how bigger thing it is in in the NFL and how many billions of pounds in lawsuits that the NFL have had to pay out for players that have suffered from early onset dementia. Yes, it's a different game. You know, players wear helmets out there and, you know, the shockwaves from being hit on the helmet and that kind of thing is very different to to football. But is it really, you know, when you're heading the ball, when you're when you're clashing heads or you're you're getting hit by an elbow or you're falling and hit your head on the ground for you know the ground is grass but it's not it's not soft. You know, it's it all has an effect. And I think, you know, there needs to be, it doesn't, it's not even a debate for me. It doesn't need to be a, a, a debate anymore. It, something needs to be done, whether it's uh, more money pumped into research or whether it's just a, a decision being made as to actually something needs to be done when players have this. You know, these players, I mean, it's unlikely that Jimenez will play next week with the way he looked on the pitch today and being stretched off. But surely if he does make, a dramatic recovery in the next couple of days back in training 
personally shouldn't be playing next week. You know, you know, you have that very yeah. same situation in in NFL in uh, you know concussion protocols where you know players if they're assessed for concussion they they can't play the following week and that kind of stuff should be the same in football. Should be the same in most sports that you know where you're uh, where, there's, where there's a threat of clashing heads. Um, again, I just find it remarkable that we're so behind the times with with this kind of thing. You know, for a sport which you know is predominantly using your feet, but a lot of the, the game is is heading a ball, particularly centre backs, strikers, everybody. You know, probably the only people that don't really head a ball is goalkeepers. Um, let's face it. Um, yeah, I, I think I just think it's amazing that it's not. You know, it's, nothing's happened before now. And isn't it always the case that something serious has to happen before before something's done about anything? Generally, um, and mm. you know, I I hope Jimenez and David Luiz don't have any long lasting. Um, you know, problems with, with, with the clash of heads today. Um, wishing them both well, of course, but yeah, something needed to be done, you know, long before now. Um, and, and certainly if this is a sea change moment, then so be it. But it's disappointing that, you know, that could be the case. It has to be taken seriously. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, the discussion has certainly been had plenty of times and there have even been like the starts of motions towards it by the Premier League. But the fact that we still don't have anything is just mm. beyond the pale, especially with, Louise continuing to play with his bloody head wrap after it and seeing what happened to the other person that was in that collision. Like it, it just as easily could have gone the other way. And it's Louise being stretched off and Jimenez there. And either way, you don't want the other player to still be uh, playing. And you mentioned the NFL. That's why in the concussion protocol, it is not a member of either team's medical staff. It is an impartial medical professional that removes yeah. you yeah. because you can't trust the team doctors. You can't trust the player that's been concussed to be like, hey, how's your brain working? He's like, oh, according to my now injured brain, it's fine. Um, you, you just really, really need to, to get beyond the, the club bias and the player bias. Obviously, the player wants to stay on. The manager wants him to stay on. The team doctor's job is to keep all of their players fit and playing. So all of them are incentivized to have the player continue to play. So it has to be somebody outside of that structure that, that can remove somebody from uh, that situation and really protect them from themselves. Um, when it comes to situations like this. All right, next we'll go to Jurgen Klopp, who had a bit of a rant yesterday at BT reporter Des Kelly after Liverpool's draw with Brighton. Uh, I'm sure you can go find the video yourself if you haven't seen it yet, but the key points were that he was blaming the broadcaster, uh, kind of threw the reporter on the pitch um, about the selection of Liverpool for the early match after them uh, playing in the Champions League midweek, and then also taking random swings at Chris Wilder uh, for voting against the five subs policy. So I was just going to start off by asking you guys, do, do you agree with him that it's the broadcasters to blame for this narrow window between matches? Or as the reporter said, do you think more of the blame lies with the Premier League itself? I think the broadcasters make a decision based on what they're allowed to make from the Premier League's perspective. Surely if the Premier League stepped in and said you are not allowed to, particularly with, well, basically part of this has come about because of the unusual situation of every Premier League game being broadcasted. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not normally the case in the UK. And obviously, Kevin, in the States, you get a lot better coverage typically than we do in the UK, mm -hmm. which is is a whole different situation. But, but it is essentially very because it, Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the fact that we don't have the 3 p.m. blackout anymore on a Saturday um, and they want every game free to wear, not free to wear, but basically shown on, on TV, that has basically facilitated 
every game having its own kickoff time to the point where there's no overlap anymore, which naturally means there's a bigger stretch on kind of the broadcasting schedule because you can't fit all the games in the normal kind of slots when half the games would be on. You have to you have to uh, move games to Friday and have games kicking off earlier sometimes in the day and later. Um, so, yes, it is partly down to the broadcaster. Obviously, they will... You can't blame the broadcasters for picking the teams that are going to draw the most um, audience. And Liverpool, being the, prem, the reigning Premier League champions, one of the biggest clubs in the world, will draw a huge audience. Now, part of that's one thing. The issue then comes in where you play midweek and you still have the option to put that team into the early slot on a Saturday. Um, because that does mean it's a quick turnaround. And I, I feel the frustration from Klopp. I understand that, particularly as they've had plenty of injuries and a lot of teams have had injuries this year, but Liverpool have been t- particularly badly affected. Um, but his his criticism towards Des Kelly and the broadcaster is kind of partly misled and kind of off off target because surely if the Premier League stepped in and his chief executive and all the chief executives stepped in. They have these discussions, they have these meetings seemingly all the time. It was okay for them to start charging people 14.95 to watch games on pay-per-view half the time, um, which quickly got, you know, batted down, but not after a few teams had asked their fans to pay excessive amounts on top of the um, the season tickets that they'd probably already charged for and the subscriptions to the Sky channels. But if the Premier League and the teams and the broadcasters got together and said, right, I think I'm sure it's the same in the Bundesliga now. I I might be wrong, but if a team plays in Europe, they normally helped out by having an early kick off the weekend before and they're not allowed to play in the Friday game or the early Saturday game in the Bundesliga. That would make sense to me because you could then pick who you want at which point because it's in the Premier League's interest, surely, to have more European success for their teams. Um, So, yeah, it just seems like it's a kind of breakdown in communication and it's kind of like it's capitalism at its finest, I guess, like BT Sport have been made out to be the victims here. But Klopp's actual, you know, criticism of Des Kelly and pointing the finger at him is completely misled. But Des Kelly's not picked that that kickoff time. He's just turned up when he's turned turned up and he's tried to do a post-match interview with the manager of the reigning Premier League champions and he's got... Who's openly accosting the network that pays his bills. exactly. (laughs) And I mean... He, you know, he like he he rightly pointed out. He said, "Well, maybe your issue should be with your chief executive and the Premier League, not with BT Sport," which is absolutely correct. You know, um, and fair play to Des Kelly for standing up to uh, Jurgen Klopp because I'm sure a lot of maybe more junior or inexperienced um, broadcasters probably would have just taken that and just moved on and asked him another kind of powder puff question, but. Des Kelly actually kind of questioned him and I find that fascinating, the fact that Klopp probably wasn't expecting it and then had to justify his point and just kind of, I think he just came off really badly, like he just ended up sounding like he was ranting and raving for no particular reason um, towards Des Kelly in that instant. I understand it's difficult, but there's more to this than just BT Sport picking games because they're going to get the bigger audience. Like you, sh- They should have put protocols in place to say that, you know, I guess it's similar to the Similar to the um, concussion 
issue, right, that we just talked about. If you feel this is that much of an issue, why isn't there a rule about it in unprecedented circumstances mm. that you can't have it? Now, you'd probably get plenty of opposition for that, actually, because if it came down to a vote, more Premier League teams aren't in Europe than are. So from a Sheffield United perspective or, a, you know, a Brighton perspective or whoever it is that are playing Liverpool on that particular point, they're probably quite happy having the 12.30 kickoff because it means it's a very, very short week for Liverpool. But, you know, that is what happens. So it's going to happen to every European team this year and probably every team in, in the Europa League will have a tough turnaround every week because that Thursday fixture is immovable. Um, so, yeah, he's. I think it was more impacted by the result, really, as well. Mm. Like, I, I don't think he would have quite blown his top in such a way had they held on to that win rather than having conceded late on in that game and having Brian already miss a penalty and have two goals ruled out for VAR uh, offside. So, yeah, I think it all just added up. And I, I feel his frustration, but I just feel it was kind of misplaced in terms of the the, the person he was single-handedly blaming, you know, like Des Kelly's in a James Bond-type situation with a hairless cat single-handedly trying to take <laughs> Liverpool's title defence down uh, by making them play at 12.30 on a Saturday. Really good points, Jim. And I think, you know, it's smacked of a guy under pressure, you know, straight after the final whistle. And I don't think Klopp's been used to that as Liverpool manager. They had it so much their own way last year, last season, and the, they ran away with the Premier League, let's face it. This season, you know, it's unprecedented for everybody and, and not just the teams that play in Europe. You know, nobody's had a pre-season. It's been, you know, jumping from the end of last season with very little... Um, close season at all you know we always tend to enjoy a summer of transfer speculation and all that but we we never really had that we had no friendlies we just went into a new season and it seems like two seasons into you know back to back almost and it, it, it's easy to forget that they had a, a fair number of weeks off before project restart happened it's it, it's a difficult situation for everybody and I think I think Jurgen Klopp has, has a responsibility here to be to be sensible. I think the round was probably a, a fair bit out of order, in my opinion, you know, picking on Des Kelly, who, you know, it's just a report at the end of the day. And I think it's unfair because I think I'm right in saying that clubs have a, um, have an opportunity to say yes or no at kickoff times, I believe, you know, when they're, when they're agreed for, for live coverage. But on the flip side to that, I'm not quite sure why, all of the Premier League games are shown at different times. You know, surely you could have two games on at, um, you know, on a, on at three o'clock on a Saturday, two games on at five o'clock, and you know, there, there's a bit more, there's a bit more sensible decisions around that because I, I don't know many people. I haven't watched it all, all ten Premier League games over a weekend when they've been on. You know, the farcical pay per view situation was. You know what was just that it was farcical when the fans made a stand and it was rightly canned because you know the the, the viewing figures weren't what they're expected um, and it's about time I'm not going to go on about that but it's about time fans took a stand because you know you get to a point and you know the money we pay out as Premier League uh, supporters is just ludicrous um, I do think however that um, yeah Klopp has a responsibility it, it came across as very very entitled, he's ran, in, in my view. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Palace fan. I'm not saying that because I'm a, a fan of a club outside of outside the top six. If you're successful and you want to be successful, then I think 
you know, it's going to be compounded this year, isn't it? You know, the way that the, the circumstances have fallen and, and how things are working out. There's far much worse going on out there than, you know, than, than, than what Klopp's on about. And I get it. I get his frustrations. But I think, you know, he and other managers need to be a bit sensible here and, and realise that actually... You know, it is, it is, you know, it is a game. It's a business for these people. You know, jobs are at stake because if performances aren't right, you know, managers have already lost their jobs, obviously not in the Premier League, but it probably won't be too long before that happens. So, you know, it is business as usual. But on the flip side, a lot of people get, um, you know, get, get relief out of watching, watching their team play, you know, from, from normal life. So there's a, there's a fine balancing act there, but I, yeah, I think I thought personally, I think Klopp was out of order. You know, if you're going to be successful, you know, they're a club that has spent a lot of money on players. They've got a bigger squad than most, um, or, or, or actually, you know, quality wise in their squad, like, you know, most of the top sides do. And it, you know, whether the five subs thing will work, you know, I, I kind of agree to a point that actually, you know, that would favour those clubs because, you know, they have far more talented players in their, you know, in their squad that aren't getting game time than, you know, clubs in the lower reaches, particularly those that have just come up. So for me, that's a bit of an unfair advantage, but I totally see. I think the other point that's being missed here is that the way that Jurgen Klopp's sides play football lends itself to the fact that, you know, they're picking up these muscle injuries. Mm, with all know? the pain and I'm not, I'm, stuff. Yeah, uh, and I'm not saying that they should change the way they play because they've been successful with it. With it. But without a summer um, and, a, and without a pre-season, maybe that is a lot more to do with it in, in terms of, you know, the injuries they're picking up because, yes, they, they no doubt about it, they're probably tired because they haven't had so much of a break. But, I you know, I, I think that's a, that's, that, that's a point that's not really been touched on at all. You know, the high-intensity that a lot of teams play now, actually, but Liverpool have done it so well over the past couple of years. You know, Jurgen Klopp's sides have always done it. Borussia Dortmund did when he was there. Um, you know, that you know, that says a lot about how some of these players were actually picking out these muscle injuries, even at this stage. And yeah, it, I think the thing is, it's unprecedented times. You know, it, it, it's such a difficult year for, for more than just football that I think we've just got to ride with it and just, you know, deal with the cars as they fall. And, you know, hopefully we'll get back some sort of normality or get to a normal season at some point in the near future. Yeah, you raise a really good point about the uh, play style thing. I hadn't really considered that. And obviously some of the players got hurt on international duty as well. So I don't want to lay all of that at his feet. But it, it did come off as uh, not a good look, I guess, as the kids <laughs> would say, um, with him uh, ranting and raving at the on-pitch reporter there. Okay, that's another point. International football. I mean, you know, you could argue why they're playing international games in the current climate. <laughs> yeah, with yeah, all the play, travelling and bringing international COVID. friendlies and stuff oh. is yeah. is madness. Yeah. Like, unless it's deciding the outcome for the qualifiers for the Euro 2021 um, yeah. tournament directly with the playoffs and stuff, but you could have just got rid of those last round of of internationals. Like no one Completely. would have minded. They could have been an alternative looked at. Um, it just seems completely irresponsible to make mm. people fly around the world for a, a games that aren't even competitive. It's just, it's absolutely insane that that's a During thing. A pandemic. But again, it all comes down to money. Yeah, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? Because UEFA yeah. have sold the TV rights for all these games and they want their um, pound of flesh out of the teams involved because they've got money to you know to justify and all this that and the other but that's it's probably the same thing it probably comes back to that in the premier league um tv rights as well you know mm -hmm. for the premier league actually i i know they they've got the 
they should have the best interest of the competition at heart in terms of the competitive nature and stuff and not making sure players are injured. But if you're the Premier League and you're, you've already got one of the most valuable sports leagues in the world and then the, a situation presents itself where you can have every single game broadcast at a different time, which appeals to multiple audiences around the world, it's probably an unintended, an unintended positive for them in terms of you know the value of that league from a broadcasting perspective. So there's probably not a whole lot of you know um, interest in having multiple games at the same time. But it's it's almost certainly going to have to happen in the next couple of months because Christmas and New Year's features uh, fixtures won't be able to happen without it. Um, there's no there's no actual way. So there, there's probably going to be have to be multiple games at the same time um, mm. over that because. They're just if you look at like three rounds taking place across like eight or nine days, it's just impossible to to get them all in at different times. Some teams will have to play like two game two games in a row, otherwise two days in a row. Yeah, yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how all of this unfolds. I do think that we will see the stacked matches there over December, but yeah, we we don't need more friendlies, and I guess the next ones wouldn't be till March anyway. But let, maybe let's just not. <laughs> when, All the when more the reason comes. to not have a load of them at the height of a global pandemic. Right. Just, also, just play, play, also smart. Play them. Yeah, play them another time. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, thanks to class inequality, I'm sure all of the clubs will have a vaccine before any of us do. So hopefully it'll be safer for them. Um, but maybe that's not a thing to <laughs> dive into too thoroughly here. Um, also of note is um, Gabriel, the Arsenal defender, just caught a shot to the face and is himself laying down on the pitch now, receiving treatment to the head and neck region. But it looks like he's going to play on. So let's just... You know, we're not, we aren't going to re-mention it. Just rewind about 20 minutes and you can hear our thoughts about it's that. Farcical, isn't it? it is farcical. Really it, is. it really I just, is. I just, it frustrates me. It really does when, you know, there's... It, yeah, we've already talked about it, but it's just nothing in place already. And you know, you've already had um, serious injuries in the past. Who's that Tottenham midfielder who had to retire, went to Hull? Can't remember his name. Name escapes Oh, Ryan me. Mason. Yeah, Ryan Mason. Yeah. He had a horrific injury and slightly different of course but i'd have expected something to have been brought in after that happened you know yeah. because if that can happen on a football pitch he looked like i've been in a road traffic accident to be quite honest with you yeah you know it's, and it uh, ended that, his that career was, uh, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah that, i mean that was horrific so yeah it just it just seems to me that they just don't learn from things happening it has to, has to something very serious and if that wasn't serious enough then I, then what, I is? what is a uh, lawsuit Probably. I mean, that's what happened with well, the NFL, as you mentioned yeah, earlier. Exactly. So, as exactly. soon as they have to pay out for it, they'll they'll start considering yep. it a bit more serious of an issue. Um, mm-hmm. A different injury, but uh, not a head one in this instance, was suffered by David De Gea, who caught a knock on his knee uh, after trying to save James Ward-Prowse. This is, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I looked this up, 100th free kick goal of the year. <laughs> um, uh, but as he was diving to try to save it, he, he banged his knee up against the goalpost. Then he's taken off at half. On comes Dean Henderson, who, of course, was just terrific last year for Sheffield United. And you do wonder how many of their struggles are down to him not being in net for them. Just makes the two saves today. But are you guys thinking that this might be the beginning of the transition to Dean Henderson as the goalkeeper at Manchester United? Or will De Gea just automatically get a spot back as soon as he's fit? It might be. Um it's tricky. I'm sure Henderson's the long-term choice, isn't he? Um, particularly given that um, they did give him a new contract, didn't they, over the 
summer maybe yeah. um, I think yeah, he signed an extension fairly recently yeah. so that kind of signals to you the way it's going eventually but I don't think it'll be just yet partly because they'll, they've still got a very expensive David De Gea contract to finish off so I think the only way I can see that kicking in maybe in the next 12 months or so would be if there was a suitor for um, De Gea's services and they were able to to recoup some of the money and get that wage bill um off, off of their back and basically then you could have like um, Henderson move in naturally um, but yeah I don't think it will be um, just yet I mean I could be wrong and I suppose it down, it's down to how long De Gea is out for um, if he's done himself you know an injury that keeps him out for a few weeks and then Henderson comes in and is particularly good um, which we know he's very very capable of Kev as you mentioned last year's um, a big part of, of Sheffield United's success um, was was down to him and the season before when they got promoted. Um, so it's just, yeah, I guess it, it presents him an opportunity if he gets a run in the team. I just can't see United getting rid of De Gea just yet as their number one um, because his form's not especially bad. It's a bit different if you're... Um, Kepa Arisa Balaga, for example, at, at Chelsea, um, and your form is actually costing your team points. And yeah, okay, De Gea hasn't always covered himself in glory, but we know that of being very, very good. And I, I guess they just probably are willing to take that chance that he could rediscover that form again um, and kind of at least get their money's worth out of him for now. Yeah, good points again, Jim. I, I think, you know, a keeper of the calibre of De Gea doesn't become bad overnight. However, we're talking about a period of time here, aren't we, for De Gea? And it wasn't that long ago that he was touted for the, you know, for the for the number one jersey at Real Madrid a couple of years ago, was it? Um, and he decided, or United, or whichever way it was, a fax it machine decided that he wouldn't yeah, go. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, the dodgy fax, fax yeah. machine. Yeah, dodgy fax machine had a say, but otherwise he might not have been in Manchester anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So. You know, you do wonder how that impacts a player's mindset. You know, I'm not saying he's not, you know, he's not playing for United and, you know, he's he's not fully committed at all. But, you know, particularly for a goalkeeper, you know, you have to be bang on it as a goalkeeper, don't you? Because, you know, you could go for a game where 60 minutes you hardly do anything and then you're expected to pull out a world-class save, you know, out of the bag, you know, from doing, from, from literally standing there watching the game. So you have to be... Yeah, your your mindset has to be right as a as a goalkeeper, probably more so than any other player on the pitch, I would say. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult one for United, isn't it? And I think Kev, you made a, a fantastic point at the start in that look at Sheffield United this season compared to last year's. And I'm not saying it's completely down to Dean Henderson, but I think you know for a lot of teams, yeah, if you've got a good goalkeeper you, and you can build from the back, you know, forwards. You know, you have a confident goalkeeper who the defence has confidence in. I think that means. I think that says does an awful lot for uh, the confidence of a team. And and that you know that showed last season for Sheffield United. I'm not saying Ramsdale isn't in the same calibre as Henderson, but I I think he's a poorer goalkeeper than Henderson. I think Henderson is is of top class, and I think he'd be England's number one at some point. He probably should be. You know, if he was if he was United's number one. 
I don't think it'd be too long before he he got ahead of Pickford in in you know for England. I really I really don't. I, to be honest, I think Pope should be ahead of Pickford at the moment anyway. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because De Gea is a quality goalkeeper. I, I think he's just uh, yeah. I, I think it it may well have something to do with the you know proposed move to Real Madrid. You know, it's turned it's turned his head a bit, and I think his form has it's not particularly dropped off a cliff, but he's he's making those mistakes as a goalkeeper that you wouldn't have expected him to have done, you know, in, in a couple of years prior to that. Um, and, you know, that that you kind of think whether United probably should have cashed at that point, but at that point they didn't know Henderson was as good as he was perhaps. And, uh, you know, was on loan at Sheffield United and, and has done what he did. Whether it's a turning point for United as to, you know, whether on their number one... I, I, I see I see De Gea as Solskjaer's number one. I, I don't think he he he'll he'll change too much on on that front. But they have they have an able deputy there, and you know maybe maybe a few games for Henderson as United's number one wouldn't be a bad thing. You know for for United or De Gea. You know competition is healthy, um, and perhaps De Gea hasn't had that at United for the time that he's been there. I can't think of a goalkeeper. A number two goalkeeper that's actually particularly threatened him um, as you know his, his number one position, uh, and only for goalkeepers that have come in and you know when he's been injured and missed a game for whatever reason. So so yeah, I think it's healthy. I, I think Solskjaer will will still stick with De Gea. I don't think he's ready to throw him under the bus just yet. Um, but obviously, I think a lot a lot probably uh, is to be said for the you know for the games coming up potentially for for Henderson. Uh, United, but he he is certainly their future, no doubt about it. Yeah, great points all. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Jim, we'll start off with you talking about Leicester. In your end-of-season segment at the end of last year, you said, you know, after the the listing towards the end of last year where you missed out on Champions League, that if you got off to a slow start, questions would certainly be asked about Brendan Rodgers and that Leicester's owners had not been shy about firing managers early into a season before. Obviously not the case. You've been near the top of the table basically from the off this year. Just curious if you've noticed anything different from what Rodgers is doing to help you be so far up the table despite having a lot of injury issues, which we've talked about already this season. 
Yeah, um, not being able to pick your first choice back four seems to have been helping, to be honest. Um, the results, there's been a couple of really interesting um, performances that probably have been against the run of play, I'd say. Like particularly the Manchester City um, win was kind of like a very strange one in the sense that it was like a throwback Leicester result where we sat deep and managed to get a couple of goals on the counter-attack. And then we just seemed to get a penalty every time we went forward, which helped. Um but yeah, I don't think there's anything. I mean, the change of formation, I guess, has has facilitated a slightly different approach in the sense that, again, I don't know, but I would imagine we'd still be playing a more rigid four-two-three-one if Rogers could pick any of his defenders um, first choice. But because of the fact that we're struggling for um reinforcements basically at, at centre back and at full back as well, having to kind of find pieces and slot in square pegs in slightly round holes. Um it's been a it's been a case that we've moved to a, a flat back three with wing backs um normally uh Justin and all Brighton um or Fuchs on occasion uh, and shifting people around there. Um which and Luke Thomas as well who's come through from the academy, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Obviously, it's helped um, blood a few extra players, and Justin's getting probably a, a lot longer run in the team than he um, ever anticipated when he signed from Luton, um, given the injury situation. But that has kind of changed the overall kind of um, not just the formation, but the system. Um, it's, I think, it's shown Yuri Tielemans can play in a, a kind of more responsible way. Like he's he's taken on a lot of the defensive. Um, kind of responsibility together with um, Napoli's Mendy um, after Wilfred Ndidi got injured. Um, so that's helped. And I think it's just meant that we've been, I wouldn't say we've been slightly more solid, but we've just had a slightly different approach. It's it's just meant that those fullbacks have had to to work a whole lot harder, essentially, um, and that we've just had to play, often we've had to play Fuchs at left-sided centre-back um, in a back three and yeah, I think it's just shown that we've been able to adapt. But again, I don't want to read too deeply into anything that's happened the last um, few months because it just seems like this whole season has got a randomizer button on it, um, and it, it just gets slammed at random points. And then you know you'll get weird old results, lack of home advantage, and kind of injuries, meaning that it's not always the case that you can accurately predict. Well, you can't ever accurately predict the future, but it seems even more difficult this year than ever before. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy old year thus far. But are you thinking that once you get these players back that you'll really be able to establish themselves? I mean, I know you joked that <laughs> missing your key players has really seemed to benefit you. But one would assume once your better players are back that you'd be better positioned to maybe make a legitimate run at the top four again. Yeah, I mean, we we got served against Liverpool um a couple of a couple of weeks ago uh, which wasn't ideal and it's games like that where it's frustrating particularly with the European campaign ongoing as well like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that we'll be able to get through the season with a, a second or third choice um set of centre backs and stuff like that so it would help to get um Timothy Castagna Ricardo Pereira back Wilfred and Didi because I'd like you know, it would just be nice to see what they could all do when they all play together because it's been such a weird season with loads and loads of injuries that Leicester probably, well, Leicester definitely haven't been able to deploy their first choice 11 at any point in the last five, six, seven months because Ricardo was injured just before lockdown. It was quite a serious injury and he's still not back. Um, and then obviously 
the start of this season, Wilfred indeed gets injured. Um, so yeah, it, you know, just from like a fan perspective, you just want to see. It's like buying a car and not being able to drive it in third or fourth gear at the moment. Like it gets you from A to B, but it's potentially not the most thrilling experience from time to time. Now we've had some really good games and all credit to the players that have stepped up because there have been several like Fuchs and all Brighton that <clears throat> probably weren't expecting to play much this year, but they've had to be key parts of the team because of the fact that, you know, it's just been necessity essentially. Um, w- w- it's great to see that being the case, but you just want to see what, a first choice eleven would actually be able to do, particularly against top teams, because that's still where I feel we've got a little bit of an Achilles heel. Um, if you want to compete with the the Liverpools of this world, um, you, you your best place to do that when you've got a full, fully fit squad and a starting eleven that can actually, you know, potentially rival a team like Liverpool um, on their day. And it's very, very difficult to do if you're having to rotate and um, kind of pick up the pieces where you can and just find players to to step in. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Harvey Barnes. So obviously the year that you recalled him, he was terrific, obviously helped you so much uh, last season as well. From the outside in seems a little bit of a slow start. Just the two goals, the one assist, and two of those happened in the same match. Um, Are you at all wondering whether or not he'll continue to hold his place in the squad? Or is it still just that he's young, he's talented, continue to give him minutes and it'll pay off in the long run? Yeah, I think it's that for now. Um, also, who else do we play there? Um, which, you know, is a potential Damari issue. Gray, like, who apparently is linked to Tottenham because it's 2015. Well, Damari Gray was paying for the under-23s um, midweek last week. So he's not particularly uh, in a great place to challenge anybody's first team um, spot at the moment. But yeah, I mean, Harvey Barnes has done okay in the Premier League but he's also been quite a key player in Europe as well um, he, he's scored a few goals and had a few assists which I think will help his overall view I think it's certainly still really positive and he, like, he actually broke into the England squad um, for the first time a few months ago and then didn't get picked randomly um, the last time Like it's a super um, competitive field I understand that Like England are stacked with amazing young wide attacking players that just kind of we seem overflowing in that position that particular position um which is incredible but it's just just such a shame that he has had a half decent start for the season made an England squad and then kind of dropped out together with Madison not that I've minded that from a Leicester perspective of course um given what we talked about with the unnecessary glorified friendlies that we've had uh to put up with but yeah he Harvey's still definitely a work in progress and I still have the same issue with him as I had two, well, 18 months ago, two years ago, in the sense that his, he's just not clinical enough yet. He doesn't quite have the finishing prowess that will see him take that next step up. Now, that's not to say that can't be taught and learned and added into his game because he's got everything else. He's got a direct running style. He's got power. He's got pace. Um, and he's certainly not afraid to to beat a player and put a cross in. It's just that, that final pass sometimes is a little bit off. And it's funny you mentioned Demario Gray, actually. Um, they've got a very similar skill set, but Harvey Barnes seems willing to work on his weaknesses, unlike Gray, who's basically the same player as we bought from Birmingham City five years mm. ago, um, which is why he's not in the team anymore. And goodness knows why he'd be linked to Tottenham, because if he arrived at the Tottenham training ground and was greeted with a Jose Mourinho training session, then I think he would actually have a breakdown um, because he's <laughs> not good at running around a lot. 
and he gets very stroppy. And if you think Deli Ali can have a bad day um, at the office, then you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> Try a Damari Gray um, in a Tottenham shirt under Jose Mourinho, which would be interesting. Um, but yeah, so I think Harvey Barnes is still super talented and he is a big part of the team and the future. And it's just great to see like a few local um prospects coming through obviously Ben Chilwell was in the academy a long time and it's now gone to Chelsea um, we've got Harvey Barnes we've got Hamza Chowdhury who's kind of on the periphery of the of the squad um, and gets a game now and again and Luke Thomas as well who's just broken through all of which are from like the greater Leicester area shall we say like within 10 miles of the club um, and grew up in the, the local system and obviously into the academy so yeah it's a promising sign from a general youth development perspective and hopefully Harvey Barnes can kick on and start becoming the the winger that he becomes undroppable in the sense that you know he, he's the first name on the team sheet alongside the the more established players but I don't think he's done a bad job this year it's probably just not been as as visible in the Premier League as it has been when you take Europe um, into account as well. All right, now we'll come to you, Jay, to talk about Crystal Palace. I'm just briefly going to mention the Wolf Zaha stat uh, of Crystal Palace's losing streak without Wilfred Zaha in the team. I'm not going to ask you the importance Zaha has to Crystal Palace. We've done that like for seven years already. Um, but I will turn the, the script a little bit to talk more about uh, Eze and about Mishi Batshuayi. Obviously, these are two players that you brought in to help alleviate um, the amount of reliance on Zaha and they well at least Eze and, and Zaha seem to have played well thus far when they've done so obviously now Zaha out was there hope that with Eze and, and Batshuayi that you could fill that gap of Zaha a little bit better or is, is there any hope for these upcoming matches without him? Uh, the million dollar question um, yeah it seems like a common question on this podcast and yeah I, I mean I think had, I, had, had we had you asked me a question whether Wilf would still be here in seven years' time, now we're sitting here and he's still at Palace, um, I'd have been quite astounded that he, he'd still be at Palace. So that's that, that that that's one question ticked off because you know I, I at one point I was kind of expecting you know every summer every January transfer window it was the same conversation and it and it always has been. Now now Wilf's turned twenty eight. I'm kind of expecting that to tail off a little bit now. Um, he could still have another shot at the big time, no doubt about it. But his importance to us is is second to none. And yes, however much it pains me to say, we are a one-man team. You know, and you know we are in the process of making that better. And the introduction or the signing of Eze, I think the sign of Eze in the summer went. I say in the summer. When was it? <laughs> it was after the summer, wasn't it? But whenever, um, very much under the radar. Uh, a lot of clubs were looking at him, but never didn't really want to take the punt on him. Didn't really, didn't really think he was uh, the, the finished product, finished article for the Premier League for for clubs that are probably, you know, in the upper echelon to us. You know, maybe like mid mid to top ten part of the table, which you know is where we should be. Um, but but Eberechiezi, I mean, it's. It's gutting to have not actually seen him in the flesh, but you know, having seen him play for Palace this season, you know, he didn't start for us. He, you know, he he had a couple of substitution appearances, but he's an incredible talent. You know, he's a he's a fearless young man who's come to the Premier League. You know, it's been difficult for him over the years. It's well known that he, you know, he he's come through um, from a from a family that struggled in in, in South London. Um, 
and it's a nice story. It's a really nice story. And, you know, to have Palace pick up somebody of that talent is going back to kind of the old days in that we used to, we used to try and, you know, raid the championship and, uh, and, and, and divisions lower than that to try and pick out some, some of these diamonds in the rough. And yet we, we paid handsome money for him, 20 million, but I think that's going to, he's going to repay that, um, you know, no end, you know, in his time at Palace. Hopefully it's a, it's a long time at Palace. He shows a lot of talent and he's going to, he, he's really going to help Wolf if Wolf stays with us, you know, for, for what might be the rest of his career now. Um, he's really going to help out Wilf. And, you know, he's shown an awful lot. I mean, even though those last couple of games we lost, in both games, it was a shining light for us. He just kept on trying to create something and, and work with a ball. And, you know, his confidence on the ball is, is brilliant. You know, he just lets the ball run and do the work. And, you know, I, I had conversations with QPR fans when we were interested in buying him. And, you know, th- there was not a bad word said about him. And actually, the QPR fans uh, wanted him to go to a club like Palace and into the Premier League because he's such a nice guy and, and, and had done great things with QPR. And you don't hear that very often from football fans, you know, um, which, which says an awful lot. Um, as for Mitchie, you know, we know what he brings to, to Palace after his first loan stint at the club. Um, and I think, you know, Wilf started the season incredibly well. He had a great, I say pre-season. I mean, we, we, we had a mini pre-season and he, he played every minute of those games and played very well when they're kind of thinking don't play too well in pre-season because that'll just that'll just set the alarm bells ringing and, and, and other clubs <laughs> look at him but he's you know he's played well up until this period that he's um you know he's, he's spent on the sidelines due to uh his, his positive test but um yeah Mitchie was brought in to, to score goals now it's peculiar because we've got two strikers at the club who play for the number one ranked side in the world, country in, in, in the world, Belgium, and we they can't score goals for Palace. And they go on international duty, score goals, come back. And I'm not I'm not claiming that Palace have the same quality of players as Belgium do as a number one country, ranked country in the world, but it's just a peculiar situation. You know, Benteke you know, Penteke is just a, an odd one because I think a lot of Palace fans so want him to do, to get to do well. You know, he's a likable character, and when he comes, you know, he's not had much luck. I mean, the last couple of games, particularly, you know, that Pope save late on in the, in in the game on Monday. I mean, who, you know, that was just that's just the sort of luck that's that Benteke is getting at the moment. He got his toe on the ball and, you know, Pope just flipped his arms out and it's, you know, it, it turns out to be a stunning save. Not they knew a lot about it. Uh, again, on Friday, you know, there was a, you know, a ball was was put up to him in the air, header, keeper matched it. You know, he's just not getting, you know, that bit of luck. Um, Mitchie, uh, he's been a disappointment since he's come to the club. He just keeps getting caught offside. But I think there's an element of us not playing, playing to the strengths, you know, we're very reliant on uh, a defensive setup as Roy Hodgson does. It's you know the, the fan base are very critical about Roy Hodgson, particularly at the moment, and have been growing so over the past um, past number of months, particularly the way we ended last season. Um, we started the season decent this season. I mean, I think I think the key thing was that if we'd have beaten Burnley on Monday, that would have been our best start to a Premier League season. Um, oddly enough, even though the natives are quite restless about Roy Hodgson being in charge, which is uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit frustrating. You know what you're going to get with Roy. He builds from the back. We're hard to beat. But on the flip side, we find it difficult to convert chances and create chances. And that's, you know, without Wilf in the side, he is that guy that I, with Wilf, he tends to have two or three players on him, which releases other players in the side. So it's not just about Wilf being that player to create. It's it's about Wilf being that player that takes a focus off other players. So if Eze's playing as well, then, you know, if if Wilf's got three players on him or watching him or being concerned about him playing down the left, then Eze's going to be free. Townsend's going to be free. It's not just about Wilf doing the job on the day being creative, scoring the goals. But luckily, he has done so far this season, probably more so than most seasons. It's it's a real conundrum for us. It really is. And it's it's hard to, you know, watching them week in, week out, it's really difficult to see what 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 is going wrong, you know, because, you know, we, we start the season well. You come up against, the likes of, you know, a run of games, which is Burnley away, who have been horrendous um, so far this season. Get somehow get a goal against us, which is a mistake by our back line. Um, we just can't, they just part of us and we can't get past them. We can't get through. If we score first, we generally go on to win a game because we're so difficult to break down, which is exactly what Burnley did to us on Monday. Um, Friday was another example. If, if one of those chances we had before that Newcastle game had gone in, we'd have gone on to win the game probably 2-0. Very similar to Newcastle. They had the late couple of goals and it, it's very fine lines. It really is. But, we just need to find a way of getting our striker scoring. But I think the way that we set up and the way that we play doesn't lend itself to a to a conventional striker scoring 15, 20 goals a season. It's just that's just what it is. Yeah, and then I wanted to touch on the other end of the pitch as well. At this stage last year, you already had three clean sheets. Thus far this year, just the one, and it was the first week of the season. Obviously, you've been dealing with injuries at the back, uh, just like Lester and, and Jim have there. But is there anything outside of that that makes you concerned about your your abilities defensively this year? I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, again, it's been a very odd season. I mean, we're talking about a season where the, the champions were smashed 7-2 at, at Villa, a side who stayed up by a point last season or whatever it was. So... I think I think the effect of not having fans in in a ground is having a huger impact than a lot of people um, consider. I, I think it really is, and for a team like Palace, I think that's a really big thing. You know, because we're one of the more livelier sets of fans at Sellers Park. The ground is an old ground. Um, it's close to the pitch. It's an intimidating place, and I think I'm not making excuses for the players at all um, because ability alone, they should be doing probably better than they are. Um, Defensively, again, you know, Hodgson prides himself on a, a very good defensive setup. But you know, when you're having to, when you're having to play a, a centre midfielder in centre back for what five, six games uh, of a season, you know, ten games in, you played him there five or six times already, um, probably says everything about our um, about, our, about our injury crisis to, to centre back um, list of players. I mean, we we, we have quite a lot of depth at centre back. But it just seems that they've all uh, had injuries this season, which uh, which has been difficult. James Tompkins has been out for for quite a long time, and 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 for me, he'd be one of the first names. Uh, probably him and Cahill uh, would be my first choice centre back pairing. They've not played this season together as a centre back pairing. I think as centre back pairings go, we've probably had five cent- different centre back pairings. Might be pushing six off the top of my head. Um, so, you know, that probably says everything about, you know, an unsettled back line. Um, 
you know, we've got a very good goalkeeper in uh, Vicente Gaeta, who you know came, came from Spain and, and seems to be settled very well. Good shot stopper. Um, you know, like any goalkeeper can make a mistake. He made a couple of mistakes last season, but I think you, you've got to have a solid defensive line in front of you. I think the other the other thing was that we brought in Nathaniel Klein, brought him back to Palace after you know him breaking through at the club what 17 years ago or whatever it was, which is crazy. You know, he 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 was out for a long time with serious injuries, and it's taken him a fair bit of time to get match fit. Uh, I think he looked good on Monday and, and Friday. Uh, unfortunately, both defeats. But you know, he's he's got back to you know the kind of form that you you saw him at Southampton and Liverpool potentially. So, but he's not getting any younger. Uh, so our fallback positions have been very difficult. Patrick Van Aanholt was out, uh, missed the start of the season. Tyrant Mitchell, uh, you know, filled in for him very well, but he's a very young, raw fallback who's got a lot of potential. You know, he's going to go a long way in the game. Very similar to um, uh, Wambasaka, who went to United. Uh, so you know he's got a, a good future ahead of him, and and we've got a bit of uh, you know uh, depth at that at that uh, position now, which is good. So it's been a very unsettled back. Other than the goalkeeper position, it's been very unsettled. You know we 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 also had Wayne Hennessy, our reserve goalkeeper, uh, injured on international duty. He's going to be out for a fairly long time, and we managed to. Well, I mean, again, under the radar, bringing Jack Butland in is probably one of the, one of the, hopefully one of the best signings we've made for for some time. Um, you know, he's he's a he was a great goalkeeper, was in the Premier League, has had a dip in form when he's, you know since they went down to Championship Stoke City, and you know, we picked him up for less than a million. I think that's a bit of a steal, yeah, for a goalkeeper that you know still has to come of age as a mm. as a goalkeeper uh, as they do. So I think you're going forward, yeah, um, I, I think. The injuries are getting better, but I think we've been decimated in the back line. But again, not making excuses. We should have enough quality there to have been better than we have done. But I think it doesn't help when you don't have a settled back line. I think that's a staple diet of a of a successful of a successful side. Um, certainly one that doesn't let in goals. Yeah, well, good luck getting healthy at the back to both of your clubs. Uh, we'll finish up with Player Watch, where I just wanted to talk about players at your club that have been disappointing this season. Uh, injuries aside, because obviously that's kind of the theme here today. So for Palace, um, I mean, we've already talked about him already, Mitchy Batshuayi. I think he's been a disappointment since he's coming from Chelsea. I think we expected more. He's been caught offside more than he's, uh, more than he's had chances uh, you know, this season, but it's not for the one to try. And I think, you know, a lot of the time with strikers, yeah, sometimes strikers are caught offside because they're lazy. But I think there's a fine line with Batshuayi is that he's so eager to to score a goal. And you see that, you know, so, so he does it so successfully for Belgium, as I already alluded to, um, that we just need to be getting more chances to him. And, you know, there was a couple in the last couple of games which are just inches away from him sliding in, you know, and it's not... You, it's not a case of you know him being you know on his heels or anything. It's just that quality of the ball into him, which you know, hasn't quite been you know what it should be. And you know, I, I guess that is what he, that's what the difference is with playing for Belgium on one side in the world. That you know he gets the ball to the exact point where he wants it, and, and it's a goal. You know, we just need to learn to do that more often. I mean, it's very similar to the way we've always played Benteke. Whenever it seems very bizarre, whenever Benteke is on the pitch, we seem to go into the opposite mode where we play to feet for Benteke. And he's not, he's a big guy, but he's good on his feet. But yeah, for a big guy, get it on his head. You know, that's his strength, you know? So yeah, I, I think Mitch, he's been a disappointment elsewhere. 
I mean, you know, injuries have hit us a fair bit, particularly in the back line. So I wouldn't say anybody's been particularly disappointing. I think PVA has been a bit, Patrick Van Arnholt, since he's come back from injury, that's probably been a bit harsh. He was found wanting in, a, in the last couple of games, perhaps, but that's, you know, the rest of the side, most of the side were were found wanting, really, in those last couple of defeats. Um, so I would say Mitchie, but again, that's harsh because, you know, we haven't really created that chance for him to actually, you know, that he would expect to get at that level. You know, he's getting into the right positions. He's getting caught offside a lot, which I don't have an issue with as a striker. As I said, you know, it's the eagerness there. It's not laziness, it's eagerness for me. Um, so he's getting there, wanting the ball to be in the right place. And I'm sure it's just a matter of time. You know, it, it will click uh, with him and it, it, he'll get a goal for us. And once he gets the first one, I think like most strikers, he'll go on a bit of a run, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but it, as I alluded to earlier, it's a peculiar one in Palace that we have, you know, two Belgian strikers who um, who, who seem to score <laughs> when they go on international duty and then uh, then dry up when they come back. So, you know, it's not one, but yeah. All right. And uh, Jim, who's been disappointing over at Leicester? <laughs> It's it's a tricky one. I don't want to dig anyone else out for being terrible, because um, like I said, the players who've come in have done a good job, and everyone else is injured. Um, potentially, James Madison is one that I would highlight as potentially not having the impact that he would have wanted. Um, he again, he struggled for fitness since the back end of last year, and I don't know whether he's been carrying like a lingering injury because he's only really started. He's three matches he started this year. Um, and he's come on in five, but he's only scored one goal um, so far. And I think for him, looking at taking that next step up and, you know, you look at the calibre of club that he's been linked with in the past, the fact that he's been on the cusp of England squads, um, he almost certainly would have wanted to have a bigger impact than that, I think. Um, So potentially we'll see more out of him, but certainly for the first kind of quarter of a season, um, I'd say probably Madison. But again, it's... It's a minor one. It's kind of difficult to be too um, scathing when you, you're in a decent position and you probably uh, performed above expectations with a bit of a, a threadbare squad. So if Madison can um, start producing a bit more in the final third, now that he's kind of seemingly back healthy again, then I think that would be uh, that would remedy that particular criticism for sure. All right. Well, we will wrap things up there. So if you guys would like to tell folks anything you're working on or where they can find you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me on Twitter at JimNightTweets. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Kev. Uh, it's been great to be on after a, a bit of a hiatus. Um, yeah, you can get me at the Eagles Beat. We've got uh, match previews, reviews, opposition views as well uh, over on the website. We're always very active on social media at the Eagles Beak uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So go like us, follow us and uh, interact with us. We always enjoy the opposition's uh, viewpoint uh, always. And uh, my main project at the moment is uh, the Meridian Sports Show, which is a weekly uh, sports show on a community radio station, 107 Radio FM. You can get us on Twitter and also Facebook and Instagram at the Meridian SS. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can also find the show at EPL Roundtable, and you can search EPL Roundtable on all of your podcasting apps. And sure enough, it'll be there. Uh, also check out the Championship Show, which comes out through this very same channel if you want to keep up on everything that's happening down in the Championship this season. Certainly sounds like an exciting, tipsy-turvy time at the moment. But uh, again, thanks to you two for coming on. It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.